It's my Bible. It is the Word of God and the will of God for my life. I am who the Word says I am. I am the righteousness of God in Christ. I'm where the Word says I am. I'm seated right now in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in the place of authority, dominion, and power. I have what the Word says I have. All the blessings of Abraham are mine. And I can do what the Word says I can do. I can do all things through Christ who gives me the strength. The day my mind is alert, my spirit is receptive as I am taught the Word of God. My life is changed for the better. And I will never be the same again. Amen. May be seated. As you're being seated, if you would, turn your Bible to Isaiah chapter 53, but also in your Bible, turn to Numbers chapter 21. The past two Sundays and today, we've been dealing with our twofold redemption. We're coming near to the end of the miracles of Jesus in the Gospels. We've got another that we're going to cover next Sunday, and then we'll go to the book of Acts. But before we did that, it seemed good to spend some time talking about how our redemption, yes, it includes forgiveness of our sins and salvation, but it includes so much more. And we often act and talk and believe and think that, well, our redemption is our salvation, and yes, these are, there are other benefits, but maybe they're not for every believer. Or maybe they're just the luck of the draw. Or maybe if we can just pray enough or fast enough, we can talk our Heavenly Father into it. And so we're spending the last two Sundays in today dealing with the reality that yes, our redemption includes forgiveness and salvation, but it also includes healing and it includes, it includes our, our blessing in every area of life. And these are things that we have to renew our minds to. Now, two Sundays ago, it wasn't in the notes. You know, sometimes my father will just, will get onto something as led by the Holy Spirit. And so, two Sundays ago, I used Mark chapter 2 as an example. That when some men brought to Jesus a friend who was paralyzed... And they went through great effort to open the roof to get him down to Jesus in Jesus' home in Capernaum. Jesus, he said to the religious leaders, because he, told, he first told the man, your sins are forgiven. The religious leaders were offended. Jesus knew what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said, which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven or get up, pick up your mat and go home. And then he said, Basically, our, my modern translation would be, watch this, so you may know the Son of Man has authority to forgive sins. Then he said, get up, pick up your mat, and go home. And I just use that as an illustration that forgiveness and healing go together. It's all over the Bible if you start to look for it. But as we begin this morning, I, I want to emphasize something else that we, we sometimes let go of, but it is a Bible truth that'll help you as a believer under the new covenant believe for and receive everything that belongs to you. In Luke's gospel, there was an occasion where a Greek woman, a Gentile woman, 
who was the, Luke called her the Syrophoenician woman, she came to Jesus and she had a need. She had a daughter who was possessed of the devil. But she was Syrophoenician, she was a Greek, she was a Gentile, she was outside the covenant. And Jesus, again, he used a saying that was common amongst the Jews of his day toward outsiders. He said it's not right to take the children's bread and to toss it to dogs. This lady was not offended. She said, yes, Lord, but even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. He told her she answered wisely. The Bible says that her daughter was healed and made well. Well, we see a truth there. We see a Bible truth in that passage, in that account, that healing is a covenant right. But I want you to see that it's not something that became a covenant right just with the new covenant. If you were a Jew living under the old covenant, healing was a covenant right. Even before the Messiah was born of a woman. Even before the word was made flesh. Even before Jesus began his public ministry. Even before his death, burial, and resurrection, healing was a covenant right that belonged to the children of God. And the New Testament tells us that in Christ, we have a better covenant with a superior high priest and better promises. So question, why should we walk in less than the natural descendants of Abraham did under the old covenant. See, I want you to renew your minds to this from the word of God that healing belongs to us. And healing belonged to the natural descendants of Abraham even before the Messiah entered this world. Even before the word became flesh. And I'm going to illustrate it to you real quick from the Old Testament, from Numbers chapter 21. And then we'll proceed forward. So turn to Numbers chapter 21. Upstairs are saying he's calling an audible. This was not, not in the notes. Again, this, this is to help you renew your mind that there is something that belongs to us. So we ought not do without. And we, not, we ought not settle for anything less than God's best. Plus, this is another Bible example of how the forgiveness of sins and healing go together. It is a package deal. It is a part of our two-fold redemption. Numbers chapter 21, beginning in verse 4, they traveled from Mount Or along the route to the Red Sea to go around Edom. But the people grew impatient on the way. They spoke against God and against Moses. Now next Sunday, we'll, we'll get into forgiveness and healing and talk about how a lack of forgiveness can be a hindrance to healing. And somebody might protest and say, Austin, what I do and how I conduct myself and how I treat others has nothing to do with what I experience in life. Well, we'll see from the word of God that that's just not the case. Of course, we live in a sinful fallen world and because of that, there is trouble. And there is trouble that we sometimes have to overcome that's just a part of living in this sinful fallen world. But we also see from the word of God 
that we can do things that open the door to trouble. And here's an example. So they were on their way. Verse 5, they spoke against God and against Moses and said, Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the desert? There is no bread. There is no water. We detest this miserable food. Well, the Lord, he provided manna, bread from heaven, the bread of angels. They grumbled and they complained about that. Verse 6, then the Lord sent venomous snakes among them. They bit the people. Many Israelites died. The people came to Moses and said, we sinned when we spoke against the Lord and against you. Pray that the Lord will take the snakes away from us. Forgiveness and healing go together. Now keep your place there and real quick look at James chapter 5. And you might say, oh, Austin, I'm just believing God. I, I don't need to repent of anything. I don't need to ask the Lord's forgiveness for anything. Let's see if I can get there without turning the page. Less than that. Nope. James 5, verse 14, is any one of you sick, he should call the elders of the church to pray over him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. The prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise him up. If he has sinned, he will be forgiven. Forgiveness and healing go together. Forgiveness and healing are two sides of the same coin. They are our twofold redemption. Verse 16, therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. And so we'll see next Sunday that a hindrance to healing is unforgiveness. A hindrance to healing is not walking in the light. A hindrance to healing is not dealing with things that need to be dealt with. But James 5, it is the New Testament companion to Numbers chapter 21. Healing came. But notice that first they repented. We sinned when we spoke against the Lord and against you. Pray that the Lord will take these snakes away from us. So Moses prayed for the people. The Lord said to Moses, make a snake, put it up on a pole. Anyone who is bitten can look at it and live. Now, not everything in the Old Testament is a type and a foreshadow of Christ, but many things are. And so the Lord told Moses, make a snake, put it on a pole. Anyone who is bitten can look at it and live. So Moses made a bronze snake and put it on a pole. Then when anyone was bitten by a snake and looked at the bronze snake, he lived. So they were forgiven and they were healed. They were forgiven and they lived. They, they were forgiven and they lived to walk with the Lord another day. Now that is under the old covenant. See, forgiveness belongs to us and so too does healing. But see, even before Christ came, these were covenant benefits for the people of God. So why should we accept anything less than God's best? In Exodus, in the old covenant, God revealed himself as Jehovah Rapha, the Lord God, our healer. See, but even before the Messiah was born of a woman, healing belonged to the people of God. I am the Lord God, your healer. He told him, worship me and I will take 
sickness and disease away from your midst. Exodus 15, 26, Exodus 23, 25. So I want you to renew, as we begin this morning, renew your minds to this basic Bible fact that healing was a covenant right for the people of God even before the Messiah came. But he has come and he has paid the price so that we, like that Syrophoenician woman, outsiders, we can be grafted into the tree of salvation. And it is a tree that has many types of fruit. Yes, one is forgiveness and salvation. But another type of fruit that the tree of God produces, it is a healing tree. Healing for the children of God. Revelation tells us that it is even that the leaves of the tree of God even provide healing for the nations. So these are covenant rights that belong to us. Isaiah 53. Now we saw last Sunday that in Isaiah 53, King James, it says, Surely he hath borne our griefs. The word there is literally the word for sicknesses and disease and carried our sorrows. The word there is literally the word for pain, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. And so Jesus paid the price. In Isaiah 53 and verse 5, Isaiah, speaking of this reality, said, with his stripes, with the stripes of the Lamb of God, the Messiah, we are healed. See, the work is done. And so in the New Testament, Peter quotes this in the past tense, 1 Peter 2.24 by his wounds, you have been healed. And somebody might say, well, Austin, I, I'm just not sure about this. But well, we saw last Sunday, just so we couldn't mess it up, Matthew makes it clear for us that healing is in the atonement. And Matthew records Jesus healing the sick, and not just healing some of the sick, but healing all of the sick. Then Matthew writes in Matthew 8, verse 17, this was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah, he took up our infirmities and carried our diseases. See, what I want you to understand is that healing belongs to us. And healing has belonged to us not just since the Messiah was born of a woman, not just since he did what he did for us when they, they whipped his back, they scourged him. Healing has belonged to us from the very moment when the Lord said, I am Jehovah Rapha. I am the Lord God who heals you. From the moment the promise is made, it belongs to the people of God. And yes, before Christ, somebody could say, well, I don't qualify. I'm outside the covenant. Well, Christ has come. We have no excuses. We are a part of the family of God with the full rights, benefits, and privileges. But something else to think about. It wasn't just outsiders in the New Testament that received healing. But there are examples in the Old Testament of outsiders being healed. Now, if an outsider outside the covenant can partake of the children's bread, then why should we, as the children of God, not partake of and enjoy what belongs to us? Say, say this, say, healing belongs to me. Say, say, my heavenly father, he, he's good. 
He he loves me, and healing belongs to me. Say, say, I have been healed by the stripes of Jesus. He did it on our behalf. We learned last Sunday that Jesus, he bore away our sins and our sicknesses and our diseases, that he carried them on our behalf. Peter tells us in the New Testament to cast every care, every anxiety, every worry upon the Lord, for he cares for us. Well, if he has it, and if he bore it, and as we saw last Sunday, if he carried it away from me, I don't have it anymore. So why do I still act as if I still have it? Why do I still talk like I still have it? Why do I, I still walk around like I am under the burden and the load of whatever that is? You know, all the time, St. Paul's in the two classes I teach, I'm always throwing out books the kids should read. And I always say it's extra credit, and some take me up on it. But a, a, a book that every Christian should read is John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress. And in that, there's a beautiful illustration that when we come to the cross, to Calvary, the burden of sin that we carry, that in the, his story that Christian carries, it rolls off. He doesn't have it anymore. But what I want you to understand is that that burden that we carry when we come to Christ, it just doesn't include our sins. It includes our sicknesses and our diseases and our bondages and our addictions and our lack and our not enough. And when we come to the cross, when we come to Jesus, he removes that burden from us. And we don't have it anymore. We are free in but so many believers, they, they walk around like they're, they're, they're carrying that burden. And they're, they're carrying their sins with them. And they're carrying their sicknesses with them. And they're carrying their bondages with them. And they're carrying their needs and their problems with them. God has got so much better for us. I quoted F.F. F. Bosworth last Sunday. My father and I did. He writes in Christ the Healer that Jesus went to the cross. Spirit, soul, and body to redeem us, spirit, soul, and body. The entirety of our lives. You know, recently, Jessica and I had to get a bigger car for me to drive. You know, see, I just had a hard time with Samuel hopping out of the car I was driving with his baseball cleats on. So I had to get something more utilitarian. But when you go and get a car and you look at it there in the lot or in the showroom, and then you say yes and you sign the paperwork or you pay however you do it, well, when it's time to drive off, they don't, they don't take the engine out first. They don't take the wheels off first. You know, in our family, we need every seat. Jessica's got seven, I've got eight, we need more. You, you don't go to drive off and they've removed the seats out of the interior. And if they did, you would protest. You would say, there's stuff that belongs to me missing from my car. So, so why do we accept our redemption without the entirety of it? Why, why do we accept what belongs to us with just half the benefits or just a third of the benefits or just a quarter of the benefits? So the issue is, if healing belongs to us, why? Why do we have trouble receiving 
what belongs to us in Christ. Why does healing seem hard? And, and that's how I got into Mark 2 two Sundays ago because Jesus said that the religious leaders, they in their minds, healing was easier than forgiveness. Today in the body of Christ, that's reverse. God's people act like forgiveness is easy and healing is hard. But they go together. They go together. They go together. And they, they have gone together since the beginning. Even before the word became flesh and the Christ was born of a woman. Even in the book of Exodus, forgiveness and healing go together. Even in Leviticus, healing and forgiveness go together. Even in Numbers, healing and forgiveness go together. It is all throughout the word of God. So why does healing seem hard? The problem is unbelief. Last Sunday we saw how often the Greek word for salvation, sozo, is used in connection with the healing miracles of Jesus. The issue is unbelief. The Bible records in Mark 6, beginning in verse 5, and he, Jesus, could there do? He was in Nazareth. He was in his hometown. He said only in his hometown is a prophet without honor. And so they, they, their attitude was, we know that Jesus. We grew up with him. Prophet, something more, nonsense. So they didn't honor him. They didn't believe in him. They, they didn't believe that he could do impossible things. And Jesus could there do no mighty work, save or accept that he laid his hands upon a few sick folk and healed them. Yeah, I use Emily as an illustration. Yeah, there was a time when Julia was like that and any little boo-boo, she wanted a Band-Aid and she would even have five or six Band-Aids going at the same time. You know, Emily can have a little mark, a little bump, a little scratch. She'll get a Band-Aid. She came home a week or so ago with the Band-Aid that her teacher had put on her. A couple days went by and it was falling off and so I helped her remove the Band-Aid. And for days she proceeded to tell her mother and both her grandmothers and everyone she could that I, I removed that Band-Aid from her. So I've often wondered when the Gospels tell us that he could only lay his hands upon a few sick folk and heal them, I've often pictured a child like Julia or Emily and just a little issue. A little problem. The Bible doesn't tell us. Maybe got, somebody got healed of a headache or a fever. And he marveled because of their unbelief. Now religion would have us believe that if someone does not get healed, it's because it's not the will of God. Religion would have us believe that it's for some and not for others. You've heard my father warn against the dangers of heading down the road of Pentecostalism. What does he mean by that? Well, getting back to what Martin Luther gave up, and that is trying to earn and deserve what belongs to us. We can't earn it. We don't deserve it. It is a gift from God. All you have to do is receive it like a child receives a gift at Christmas. But see, we head down these roads. Well, if I could just pray some more hours, if I could just fast some more days, if I could just skip a few more meals, if, if, if I could just do enough to atone for the things I, I did in my past, what, what do we believe? 
Jesus atoned for our sins. Why are we trying to atone for something he already paid the price for? And the Bible says that our sins are not just washed away, they are remitted, which means canceled out as if they never took place. So why in Nazareth, in Nazareth could he not do any mighty miracles? See, all the, the answers religion would give us are wrong. The Bible tells us. And he marveled because of their unbelief. The NIV, it says he was amazed at their lack of faith. So the problem was not the will of God. The problem was not praying enough hours, fasting enough days. The problem was unbelief. The problem was a lack of faith. Mark 6, 6, the King James, it says Jesus marveled. He was amazed by their unbelief. But praise God in his grace and his mercy, Jesus had a solution for the problem of unbelief. Mark 6, verse 6, and this is why I encourage you to get a Bible that's yours, to read it, study it, bring it to church, because there are things that you need to see in the word of God for yourself. And he went round about the villages teaching. I'll just repeat my father from 9 a.m. I can blame it on him. Jesus didn't do a Daniel fast. He didn't pour anointing oil on everybody. He didn't get people worked up into emotionalism. He didn't do a, a revival service or anything like that. The answer, the solution for unbelief was teaching the people what belongs to them. The answer, the solution was teaching them the things of God. The answer, the solution was teaching them the word of God. And we know this, but we forget it. We, we know this, but then we go, we go back to our bad habits and our bad patterns. Maybe I'm just not good enough. Maybe I just need to pray another hour. Maybe I just need to fast another day. Maybe I just need to have pastor, Pastor Sue, lay hands on me one more time. It belongs to us. It is ours. All we have to do is receive by faith what belongs to us in Christ. Mark 6, 6, he went round about the villages teaching. We know this. Paul tells us in Romans 10, 17, so then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. If you look a few verses up, Romans 10, 14, Paul tells us, how can they believe in one whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? Then verse 17, so then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. See, there are believers, they, they know, they know that they know that Jesus paid the price for them to be forgiven and saved. They know that, and it's true. But there is so much more. Well, why don't they know? Why can't they believe God for more? No one has told them. And so Paul tells us, how will we know unless a preacher tells us? Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Lift your hands and say, Heavenly Father, I thank you that you are good, that you are wonderful, that you love me, that you love my family. I thank you for every blessing and every benefit that belongs to me in Christ Jesus. 
I thank you that my sins have been forgiven. I thank you that my sins have been remitted, canceled out as if they never took place. I thank you that in Christ Jesus that I am saved. I'm born again. I'm a part of your family with every right, benefit, and blessing. I thank you that healing is the children's bread. I thank you that healing belongs to me. And so I thank you that your healing power, it's at work in my life and in my body because it belongs to me even when I don't feel like it, even when I don't feel like I deserve it. Your healing power is at work in me because Jesus paid the price and it belongs to me. And just to thank him. Thank him for his healing power. It's yours. It belongs to you. So these are things that we have to do. As Paul said, we have to renew our minds to the word of God. John writes in 1 John 5, beginning in verse 14, this is the confidence we have in approaching God that if we ask anything according to his will, well, how do we know his will? We know his will by his word. So we could say it this way, that if we ask anything according to his word, he hears us. God honors his word. Jesus said in Matthew 24, verse 35, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. David said in Psalm 119.89, Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. The Amplified Bible gives us this translation of Jeremiah 1, verse 12. I am watching over my word to perform it. But God is good. God is wonderful. God is loving. God is gracious. God is for us. His desire is to perform and to bring his word to pass in our lives. We just have to cooperate. We just have to, as Isaiah says, be willing and be obedient. The word of God never fails. And God never fails. But every man, every woman must have his or her own faith. That's why Joshua told us that every generation has to choose whether or not they will serve the Lord. And sometimes I'll say, periodically, every generation has got to choose, decide what they're going to believe. To, to me, this is not theoretical. You know, sometimes I'll hear about a young person giving up being full gospel to date someone that's not full gospel. And uh, I'll make mention of that periodically. To me, that's giving up what belongs to you in Jesus Christ. See, there are covenant rights, benefits, and privileges that belong to us, like healing like the baptism of the Holy Spirit, like the blessing of the Lord. And so like that illustration I gave you, the new family car, I want everything that comes with it. I want the seats. I want the seat belts. We live in Texas. I sure enough want the air conditioning. So why would I accept, why would I sign for anything less than God's best, when it belongs to me in Christ Jesus. God honors his word. God answers his word. But everyone has to choose what they will believe. 
and what they will have faith for. And the way we really help people is by sowing the good seed of the word of God into their lives. Again, the problem of unbelief, what did Jesus do? He went round about the villages teaching. Paul declares in 2 Corinthians 5 verse 21, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him, in Christ, we might become the righteousness of God. So our Lord, our Father, he laid every sin, every sickness, every disease upon Jesus. And he carried those things away from us. You might say, Austin, it sounds too good to be true. It's grace. It is the grace and the mercy of Almighty God. We didn't earn it. We don't deserve it. It is his grace and it is his mercy. And it belongs to us. If we so easily believe what the Bible says about forgiveness and salvation, then why not believe what the Bible says about healing? It's in the same chapter. Again, Matthew confirms it just so we can't mess it up. Matthew 8, 17, this was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. He took up our infirmities and carried our diseases. You know, we still have little ones. And from children's church, they'll sing the Bible song, the B-I-B-L-E. That's the book for me. I stand upon the word of God, B-I-B-L-E. Why not have this attitude that God's word says it, I believe it, and that settles it? Why not have this attitude, God's word says it, I believe it, and so I receive what belongs to me? Tell your neighbor, say, it's got your name on it. Tell your other neighbor, say, it's got your name on it. Now, don't be bashful. You know, if someone told you down at some coffee place, you know, they had, ordered, they had on their mobile phone ordered you a drink for pickup, it's got your name on it, you would drive down there for a $5 drink. You would drive down there for a $7 drink. So, so why do we get all religious and bashful and humble when it comes to the things of God? Why, why do we, we start doing this false humility? I don't know. I'm not good enough. I'm not, it's got yours. It's got your name on it. It belongs to you. You want a prize? You take the prize. And even if it's not your thing, you give it away. You take the prize. So why do we act this way? when it comes to the things of God. These things belong to us in Christ Jesus. Say this, say, by his wounds, I have been healed. The Bible tells us that the word of God, it is medicine. Proverbs 4, verse 22, for they are my words, are life unto those that find them in health, to all their flesh. One translation says, my words are medicine to all their flesh. Take your, you got to take your vitamins. You got to take the medicine of the word every single day. That's why the Lord told Joshua, meditate on it day and night, that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. Then you will make your way prosperous. Then you will have good success. But see, this is where the enemy steps in. And he reminds us of something from the past or based on our religious upbringing he gives us ideas that are rooted in religion and not the word of God 
I'm as full gospel as they come. I'm as Pentecostal as they come. And I periodically have to remind myself that I cannot earn or deserve what is freely given me in Christ. And yes, we pray to spend time with the Lord. And yes, prayer builds great strength and benefits. But I don't pray to earn my forgiveness. And I don't pray to earn my healing. And I don't pray to earn anything else. And yes, when we fast, we give up the things the flesh wants to draw closer to the Lord. But I don't do that to earn what already belongs to me. It's mine in Christ. Certain things are mine in Christ. Certain things are yours in Christ. Forgiveness, healing, the blessing of the Lord. Say this, say forgiveness, it is mine. Say healing, it is mine. Say the blessing and the favor of God, it is mine. Then there's the voice of the enemy. Yeah, but what about this? What about that? What about this from the past? What about that from the past? Even you heard Pastor Austin this morning, Numbers 21, those stupid people did something that opened the door. Okay, get ready for one more and we'll quit. Psalm 107, verse 20. Yes, we're not perfect. Yes, we mess up. Yes, we make dumb decisions. Yes, we sometimes open the door. But praise God for his grace and mercy. How much does our heavenly father want to heal us? Psalm 107, verse 20. And I want to remind you that this is Old Testament, not New Testament. Which is better and more wonderful? With a superior high priest, with better promises. How much did God want to heal his people under the Old Covenant? when their sins were not yet covered over by the perfect blood offering of Jesus Christ. Psalm 107, verse 20, he sent his word and healed them. That's why we, we spent two Sundays ago, God's word is medicine. He sent his word and healed them. See, Paul gives the example of praying in the spirit, but see, when you do what the Lord told Joshua and you meditate on your word, day and night, you're building up your spirit, the real you on the inside. But there are good things that come as we spend time in the word. And one of them is healing. He sent his word and healed them and delivered them from their destructions. You might say, Austin, I did something I shouldn't have done. I opened the door. I messed up. I don't feel good enough. I don't feel worthy enough. I don't feel like I, I deserve these good things that you're talking about. Maybe that's why you've had trouble praying in faith because you got all that here and here. He sent his word and healed them and delivered them from whose destructions? Theirs, the things they did, the things they opened the door to. Praise God that even when we bring trouble on ourselves, there is grace and mercy. How much does he want to heal us? He sent his word and healed them and delivered them from, our, from their destructions. Lift your hands. We'll end here. Say, Heavenly Father, I, I know that I'm not perfect. I know that there have been times when I have disappointed you. I have displeased you.
and through my own decisions, I have opened the door. But I thank you for your grace and mercy. I thank you for your forgiveness. I thank you for sending your word and healing me. I thank you for delivering me from every destruction, from every destruction that is in this world, from every destruction that is the work of the enemy, from every destruction that I have caused and I have opened the door to. Thank you for healing me. 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 You're not an outsider. You're not an outsider. You're not a, you're not a lesser than. There are no third-class citizens in the kingdom of God. One of the greatest sermons I've ever heard was a sermon that Leonard Ravenhill preached about John the Baptist. It's wonderful. It's awesome about consecration and commitment to God, what God can do through one consecrated man. And yes, Jesus did say that among those born of woman, there has been none greater. But Jesus did not stop what he said there. He said that even the least in the kingdom of God is greater than John the Baptist. And you might think, I sure don't feel like it. It's not about that. It's about what Jesus did on our behalf. And so you got to drop all that baggage and you've got to go forward in faith and the salvation and the freedom and the victory we have in Jesus Christ. Please bow your heads. You might be here today and heard me talk about these blessings, these benefits that belong to us as a part of the family of God. But you might say, Austin, I, I'm not a part of the family of God. How, how do I become a part of the family of God? And you do that by asking Jesus Christ to be the Lord and the Savior of your life. This world we live in, it'll tell you that if you're just good, kind of good enough, that is sufficient. It'll tell you that you can come up with your own path to God. Those are lies. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. He's standing at the door of your life, and he's knocking. But you have to open the door. You have to ask him to come in. If you're here today and say, Austin, I've never done that, but I want to. I want to give my life to the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to ask him into my heart, into my life. I want to be a part of the family of God. If that's you, wherever you're seated, raise your hand. I want to pray with you. You might also be here today at a time in your life you prayed a prayer, you walked an aisle, but you know in your heart you're not right with God. The Bible tells us the mercies of God are new every morning. The Bible tells us that if we confess our sins, he's faithful. He is just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You can leave here today having a fresh start, knowing you have peace with God. If you're here today and say, Austin, that's me, 
pray with me. I want to recommit my life. That's you, wherever you're seated, raise your hand where I'll see it and I'll know you want me to pray with you. You might be watching or listening online now or later. Say, Austin, pray with me. Say this simple prayer. Heavenly Father, I come to you in the name of Jesus and I repent of my sins and I give you my life. Thank you for welcoming me into your family. Thank you for a new beginning and a fresh start. Thank you for setting me free of anything that would hinder me in living for you. If you prayed that prayer now or later, we want to be a blessing. There's an address on the screen you can go to or go to the website and let us know you prayed. And we'll be a blessing. We'll send you God's very own child by my father. It'll help you get started in living the Christian life. We'll also bless you with the Bible. If you don't have a Bible, we want to be a blessing. And you might be here today and maybe didn't raise your hand, but the Lord is dealing with your heart. After the service, you can let an usher know or talk to any of the wonderful people at guest services and tell them. And they'll talk to you. They'll, they'll pray with you. They'll encourage you. They'll give you some things to be a blessing to you. The Lord is good. The Lord is good. The Lord is good. The Lord is good. I said the Lord is good. I said the Lord is good. You know, and this week you might be going to this house and that house and this relative's house and that relative's house and so-and-so's house might be, their, their house might be your favorite and you're picturing all the wonderful things you know that you're going to get to eat at that particular house. And maybe you have to bring something with you. Maybe you don't. Maybe just show up. Maybe it's free. There's a wonderful, wonderful spread. Well, that's the illustration that David gave us. In the Old Testament, the Lord prepares a table before us. And on that table, there is forgiveness and there is salvation. You know, I wouldn't think about having turkey this week without having pie after the turkey. Pie is a part of the benefits of going to my mother's house. So there at the Lord's table, yes, there's forgiveness. And yes, there's salvation. But there's also healing. And there's blessing. And there's deliverance. And there's every good thing of God. All you have to do is sit down at the table and enjoy and partake of what belongs to you. And you got to set aside this thing of not feeling good enough, not feeling worthy enough. Because if you've given your life to Jesus Christ, you've received the gift that has made you worthy. That you've received the gift that has qualified you. You don't have to wait. You can sit down at your father's table and enjoy what belongs to you.